Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. About 25 years ago, there was a tragic accident. It actually happened about 75 miles southwest of here. It was on I-39, and it, this accident shook the Christian community. A singer and songwriter by the name of Rich Mullins was killed in this accident. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard some of his, his work. He wrote classics like Awesome God, Sometimes by Step, Creed, Hold Me Jesus, I was 10 when he died, and I was a bit devastated because this guy was one of my heroes. In fact, my dad, today, he'll still poke fun at me that I try to imitate him because he drove a Jeep and I drive a Jeep. It's about where it ends, though. Maybe the hairstyle and the white t-shirts. And he also didn't wear socks. Whatever, Dad. But that's, that's not why I liked Rich Mullins, though. Rich Mullins has a, an incredible story, and some of it is very dark. He, he had his struggles, but he was very open about his struggles. He's, he's an honest writer. And one of my favorite songs of his, he recorded on a boombox in, actually in a church in Elgin, um, in a, a, an abandoned church, he recorded it days before he died in this accident, but a very raw album. But one of the coolest things that Rich Mullins did, though, is he took a vow of poverty. So this guy made millions, and he gave it all away. He didn't like the whole you know, celebrity, spotlight, status, all that. In fact, what he did was he moved to a, an Indian reservation, went to the elders of the church, the local church, and he requested that all of the money that he made through his music would go to the church, and the church would pay him the average salary of the people in the church. Now, this church is in a poverty-stricken area. So here you got a guy who's topping the charts in music, celebrity who could live very fancy, but he lived on very little. And he lives a wild story. But he wrote a somewhat goofy song called Screen Door. And I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a, it's a hokey song. It's, it's meant to be hokey. It's, it's, it's like a joke. It's a very corny song. The only instrument that he uses in the song is he plays the song with, with cups. But in, in typical Rich Mullen style, the lyrics are very thought-provoking. He writes this. Check out these lyrics. He writes, Faith without works, it just ain't happening. One is your left hand and one is your right. It'll take two strong arms to hold on tight. I think you need to show some works. I think you need some works to show for your alleged faith. Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. It's silly, yeah, hokey, absolutely. That was the intent of the song. But what he's doing is he's throwing us into this tension that we find in Scripture. It's one of the most debated tensions in Scripture. Is salvation by faith or does it come by works? Because there seems to be this conflict in Scripture. And, and maybe you felt this, maybe you've wondered it. How do we get salvation? I mean, what a huge question to ask. How do we spend eternity with God? How do we avoid hell? You know, those are huge questions. And people answer that very different ways. And, it, and Scripture seems to answer that question in different ways. So, for example, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he wrote this. He wrote, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. And so Paul says, faith gives you salvation, not works. But then in a second, we're going to study, study uh, Jesus. If it does not have works, it's dead. And so what happens a lot of times we come into Scripture, we go, okay, well, so which is it here? Do we go with Paul? I mean, Paul has more credentials. He wrote 
more the Bible. I mean, James is just a blue-collar kid from Nazareth, so should we, just, should we go with Paul? Or do we go with James? I mean, James is the brother of Jesus. Who do we go with? There, there's this tension. And it's this discussion that actually sparked the Reformation. This is the debate between Catholicism and Protestant. This has split the church. This has split families. Like, what do we do with this? There's a lot on the plate today. We're going to get a little technical in theology, but this is going to be, this is going to be good. Let's, let's do it together. James chapter 2 is where we're at. James chapter 2. I encourage you to grab a Bible. It's page 1012 in the Bibles in the chairs. This is what we do as a church. As we gather together, we sing to God, we, we serve, we give, and we get into God's Word together. And this is, this is actually what we do throughout the year. We, we take a book of the Bible, and we just slowly walk through it together as a church. And right now we're in James chapter 2. We'll start in verse 14. Let me pray, and then we'll jump right into this. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for who you are. Thank you for the, song, the, the songs that we just sang earlier. You are the same God. We thank you for that. We thank you that you never change. And Father, you will speak today. May you remind us just of the way to this moment as we gather together and get into your word and hear from Dad the most important part of our week. Father, I said we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James writes this. Let's just jump right in. Verse 14, he writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So let's unpack this. And by unpacking this, let's, let's first define faith. It can be a little bit hard to define uh, because if somebody, if after church, if somebody would come up to you and ask, hey, do you have faith? Or what is faith? be a little bit hard to explain what faith is if you were to define it. Sometimes, I mean, I'm a pastor, and people come up to me and say, oh, you're a pastor, so you're a man of faith. And I never really know what to say. It's like, I, yeah, I guess. What is, what is faith? It kind of seems such like an ethereal idea. Well the, well, the word that James uses for faith here is the word uh, pistos, which means to rely on or to place your confidence in. All right, so that's faith boiled down. It's to rely on something, to place your confidence in. So to everyone, you have faith. Faith right now in your chair. You had confidence when you sat down that your chair was going to hold you up. You had faith to get in your car before you came here, and you had faith that your car would start. You were confident enough to turn. It's an act of confidence. I think of it like um, our church owns a so our church owns a, a camp. In fact, this coming weekend or next weekend, a lot of us men are going to be up there for for man camp. It's going to be packed house. It's sold out already. It's going to be it's going to be epic. But up at, our, up at our camp is a ropes course on the property, an obstacle course that's suspended up in the air. And periodically in the summers, I'll, I'll work that ropes course, and it's so much fun because, especially with the middle schoolers, because the middle schoolers will come and they're acting all tough. You know, the kids are getting, I'm, I'm harnessing all the kids up, and they're all like, oh, I ain't scared. I wish it was taller. I wish it was higher. This is a piece of cake. And then I take them up there, and it's a totally different story. They're, they're shaking and crying. But the very, very last part of the ropes course is, is the part where you actually, to get down, you have to jump off. Now, you're, of course, attached to a rope and somebody belays you down, but it's a little freaky. Even for me, when I get down, standing on the ledge and looking at the ground and jumping. So I would call it the leap of faith. You have to have enough confidence in the person holding the rope. You have to have enough faith to make the leap. Now, if you were sitting on this ledge, you could say, hey, I have faith. You know, and I'm holding the rope. Hey, I have faith that you got me. You could say that all day long, but it's the jumping that shows that you're placing your confidence in me as I hold the rope. Faith isn't this feeling we feel. It's enough confidence to do something. So again, technically, everyone has faith. 
It's just we place our faith in different things. Some of us place our faith in bank accounts, right? We feel more confident or less confident based on what's in our bank account. Many of us put confidence in uh, the government or a political party, right? If our preferred political party is in power, eh, we live with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more peace. Everyone has faith. It's just where we put it. So in verse 14, James poses this question. If someone says they have faith, meaning faith in God, but doesn't have good works, there's no action, is that faith? It's a good question. And before we answer that, let me, let me give you some context as to what's going on here. There's some tension going on in the early church that James is writing to. As the church is reaching out to its community, people are leaving their old life behind, leaving their old religion, whether you go to the temples, they leave all that behind to follow Jesus. Is old habits, they die hard, don't they? People come into the church for a while, and then they start kind of missing parts of their old religion. They miss parts of their old rituals. They miss the checklist that religion provided them. They, they miss some of the ease of their old religion. And so whether it was intentional or not, what happened was people began relating to God based on the way they related to their old religion. So got to have all these works, these checklists, and all of these rituals. Just like my old false God, the true God will love me more if I do this, 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 and this. So that's not good. So there's those people in the church. But then there's the other side of the spectrum. There's people who wanted nothing to do with their past religion. The thing had been there, done that. And they swing the pendulum all the whole way on the other end. Like, you know what? No good works. God doesn't care. None of that. It's just about believing in God. Forget what you do. It's not about works. So people are swinging the pendulum. It's kind of like... um. You ever go through a breakup and then you decide, I'm going to date the complete opposite person of my ex. A jock in like high school or something and it didn't work out. You're like, I'm never dating a jock again. I'm only going to date the exact you know, perfume or they drive the same car as your ex. And it's like, nope, you remind me way too much of my ex. This isn't, this isn't going to work out. We, we actually do this with hiring people. If you look at some companies, they do this. You know, if we let somebody go, position with the complete opposite type of person. So my friend, he owns a business, and he just did this. He was giving a hard time for it. He had to let somebody go, and the person that he let go was like this big partier, very wild, out there type of person, and the person he replaced that person with was the most vanilla, clean-cut person I'd ever seen. It was just like this total opposite person. This is just kind of what we do. We, we just swing the pendulum. People do this with churches. So, for example, we've had people uh, come into the bridge, and they get upset, and they leave our church, and we ask them why, and they say, well, because you guys have a camp. It's like, what? What does that matter? Like, well, our old church had a camp and our old church was unhealthy. It's like, okay, well, was your old church unhealthy because it had a camp? No, it just, you guys remind me of that. So we're just swinging the pendulum to the, to the other side. Instead of like really sifting through things, we, we throw things out and go the extreme the other way. Anything that reminds me of the past or, you know, what I don't care for, I'm just going to throw it all away. You know, what's that old saying? Baby out with the bathwater. This is what's going on in the church. Many people are leaving religion. They're entering into relationship with, with Jesus. Some of them are bringing their old religion with, with into the church. That's not good. But others are swinging the pendulum the other way, the extreme, and saying, no, Christianity has no works. Stop trying to be good. Just believe in God. And so James is addressing this. And he, he addresses it with an illustration in verse 15. He says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them things they need for the body, what good is that? It's like, hey, it looks like you're struggling. Man, sorry, best of luck to you. It reminds me of, I still can't believe this, but when I was in Bible college, my professor had us watch an episode of South Park. 
which is a wildly inappropriate show. It, it, seriously, it might be funny, but not healthy in the least, so I'm not standing up here and advocating for it at all. I don't want to get those emails. But there we are in Bible college watching an episode of South Park. And in this episode, a, a bunch of missionaries, they go to Africa, and they're walking through a village and seeing all these people who are, who are starving and right on the verge of death. And these missionaries are stuffing their faces with chicken legs. And they tell all the starving people with no food that Jesus is with them. So, that, you know, with mouths full of food, they're going, we have something better than food. We have Jesus. You should have some. It's just like this ridiculous scene in Scripture. But this is the exact, not Scripture, but in South Park, this is the exact, exact picture that James is painting in Scripture. What's the point then? Like, you can say all the right things all day long, but until there's action with it, it doesn't really matter. James is saying, you got to show me. And maybe, that, maybe that's obvious, but the reality is we live in a society that, that does this, don't we? We live in a society with a lot of lip service today, a lot of talk, a lot of talk. How many of us post things without actually doing anything about what we just posted? Anyone guilty of that? No, of course not. None of us would do that. Like, oh, come on, I think we're all guilty of that. I have. For example, and this might bother some people, but um, I'm pro-life. I, I hurt for pregnant mothers who feel like their only option is abortion. I, I hurt so badly for them. I want to help them. I also want to help the precious baby who, who has the right to life that is growing inside of them. It's very easy for me to say I'm pro-life. Oh, sure, people will get upset and they'll send me an email about all that. But it's pretty easy for me to just say those words. I'm pro-life. It's another thing for me to act on that. So the other night, we were eating dinner as a family. And my wife, Nicole, and I we were just talking about this topic, pro-life, and and she said something to me that scared me. She said, you know, if we're going to be defending the right to life, we at least have to be open to taking those babies in if there's going to be more babies. It's like, oh, well, now suddenly things just got heavier. Like, okay, more kids? Like, I don't have room in my truck. I, I, I don't want to go back to diapers. There's more mouths to feed. Like, suddenly, suddenly my stance costs a little bit more for my belief. It's so easy to get caught up in this all like virtue signaling of our world. You know, I'm, I'm posting and I'm hashtagging this and I'm posting this opinion and, and that opinion. And it's all just noise if there's no action with it. We're not to be a people of noise, but a people of action. Because our conviction leads to action. We can't call something a conviction if we don't turn it into action. So let's not post about how we feel about the inner city unless we're willing to help with them. Let's not say our hearts break for certain people, immigrants or police officers or children. Let's not say our heart breaks for them if we're not going to do anything about it. And some of us, and I'm guilty, I'm guilty of a lot of this, but I would say a lot of millennials can be very guilty of this too, but some of us, we think our words weigh more than they actually do. I'm just going to say this, or I'm just going to post this. Okay, that looks great. Virtue signal. That's just empty. That's cheap. Believe it enough to act and do something. This is what James is getting at. Is that our salvation leads to conviction, which then turns into action. He's not saying this action saves. He's saying if we don't have action, we can't really say there's conviction. And if there's really no conviction, we have to question whether there's been salvation. It's why he writes this in verse 17. He says, so also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Here's another way to put this. Let's, let's just kind of take this a, a little bit deeper. If or when you decide to follow Jesus, God does three things for you. 
And this is so important. God, first off, he works, he works for you. All right, so Jesus goes to the cross for you. And he resurrects from the grave and defeats death for you. We actually, in, in more of like the theological terms, we call this justification. God declares you justified, saved through the cross. This is how you get salvation. God does this for you. And this is a lot of times where many people stop. right? They'll go, hey, all right. God does stuff for me. And like me, I like free. It's like, yeah, that's awesome, but there's, there's more to it. So God works for you, but then also God works in you. So what happened at the cross then changes you. You die to your old self and you live into submission with God. We call this sanctification. God is working in you. He gives you a new heart. He changes your views. Now, yeah, you're not perfect, but God is working in you to make you more like Jesus Christ. So God works for you on the cross, and then he works in you, and then God works through you. God touches the lives of other people through you. He gifts the church with talents and resources through you. God blesses other people through you, and God draws people to himself through you. So God works for you, God works in you, and then God works through you. And they all work together. They're, they're, they're fluid, so to speak. The more you realize what God did for you on the cross, the more you open yourself up for God to work in you, and you sacrifice yourself for God to then work through you. But when the two, these two don't happen, nothing changes in you or through you, what James is saying, it makes us question whether you embrace what was done for you. God working through you and through you. That was done for you. But it leads to God working in you and through you. And James repeats this in, in verse 18. You, you just you can't separate all of this. But then in verse 19, there's like a serious burn coming from Jesus' little brother. Have you, ever, um, have you ever been in an argument and uh, you knew that you had like an ace in your pocket in the argument? You ever had that? You know, you're, you're like, you're, you're arguing, you know, you're arguing away, but, but you know something that's going to totally win the debate? Husbands are looking at me like, no, I have no idea. And all you wives like totally know what you're talking about right now. It feels so good, doesn't it? Like there's an argument going on and, and, they're, and they're debating their side of the story, but they don't know that you know something and you're holding onto that trump card and it feels so good to just slap that down on the table and say, booyah, I win. No getting around this. Like mic drop. This is totally what James does in verse 19. Debate is going on, right? People are saying, you know, you don't need works. It's all about just believing in God. And, and James just throws the ace card down on the table. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You think being a Christian is simply about knowing something, believing in the existence of God. Even the demons believe that. And more than that, the demons believe so strongly that they shudder. Like, when's the last time you felt fear over the power and the might of God? The demons believe that so much they feel terror. This is an incredible verse in Scripture. Like, let's just sit in this for a second. Because so often people, and come on, we can be guilty of this sometimes, we can treat Christianity like this intellectual-only belief. So how many of us have, have said this or maybe operate this way or think this? Um, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Check. Do you believe that God created the world? I do. All right, check. Do you believe that God came in flesh and his name is Jesus Christ? I believe that. All right, check. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? I do. Check. 
Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I do. Check. All right. And so we can think, I'm doing pretty good here. And James would say, okay, you still had demon-level faith, though. Demons believe all that, too. Like all throughout Jesus' life, uh, if you like, read through the God, the demon possessed people. The demons knew who Jesus was before the disciples did. They were terrified of Jesus. Like They know who God is. They know that God created. They saw the empty tomb. The problem isn't in their head. It was in their heart. It's not, this, it's not their belief. It's, it's their will. They refuse to submit. They have faith God exists and can do great things. But that faith doesn't save the demons. Paul Tripp said this. He said, faith is more than believing the right things. It's living the right way because you believe the right things. It's faith that leads to action. It's a faith that changes your heart and then changes your life. But this thought can really rattle us, doesn't it? Because, I mean, honestly, I feel some of the tension here. It's like, all right, James, I'm a little confused here because I thought we were saved by faith. I mean, Paul said that we are saved by faith. And James would say, we are. Faith apart from works is useless. Kind of seems a little harsh. Like verse 19, you tell me there might be demon faith, and then you call me foolish. So foolish here doesn't have to mean foolish. So maybe he's being nicer when you translated a different word. The problem is the word foolish only translates to stupid. So we're not doing any better here. Like, why is James being so gruff? Well, he's, he's not addressing everyone. He's addressing those who advocate the crazy idea of, hey, just believe in God, you know, say a prayer, do it, and then do what you want. Live your life, and then you get heaven. James is saying, no, that's stupid, that's foolish, and that doesn't align with Scripture. And so in the following verses, if you see there, in the following verses, he, used two exa- he uses two examples from the Old Testament. First, he uses Abraham. Now, everybody knew that Abraham was a man of faith. And James points out, Abraham wasn't a man of faith because he believed in God. Abraham was a man of faith because he put that faith into action. He took that, that leap, that leap over the leap of faith. His confidence, his faith was seen in his action. Abraham lived a life of risk and sacrifice because he believed in God. And then in verse 25, James uses a woman named Rahab as an example. You know the story of Rahab. Rahab was a pagan prostitute. She lived with and slept with the enemy of God's people. But through her faith, she is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Well, how did that happen? Well, she didn't just believe something intellectually and sit at home. There was action to her faith. She risked everything, and that, that faith drove her to step out. So James points out here, Abraham and Rahab had faith. And they were saved by their faith, but there was this natural action that resulted from their faith. Works are a confirmation of our faith. This is what James is getting at. Our good works are a confirmation of what we really believe, right? Go back to the ropes course. If we were to go up to the ropes course, up at camp, we're all there. If you're on that platform and I'm holding the rope, and you say, hey, and I say to you, hey, I got you. Take the step off. I got you. And the reality is I wonder how often God tells us to do something in faith. Hey, live out your faith at work. Speak up. Lead your family. Give. Step up. Forgive. Confess. Serve. Submit. God is saying, hey, I got you, okay? Do this in faith. Go for it. I got you. I know this is hard, but take that step. And we just stay on the platform and say, I have faith in you, God, but I'm going to stay right here. James is saying, okay, but then what good is that? Now, to be fair, God is not demanding perfect faith. 
because we're not perfect. He's not demanding like this all-out risk, you know, huge, crazy, out-of-your-mind acts. It's kind of like, uh, do you hear about the Nigerian pastor? This is true. The Nigerian pastor last week who had faith that if he were buried alive, he would rise again in three days. Did you hear about this in the news? He died. They had to bury him again. That's not faith. That's just, James would say, that's just foolish. We're not talking about that. We're saying faith has action with it. Living faith is growing faith. It's not perfect, but it's growing. And it's why he wraps, this, wraps chapter 2 up with this. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. Good works. Faith without your good works is like a screen door on a submarine. See, when it, when it comes to this debate of faith and works, like, you know, Paul versus, versus James, the tension that, that seems to be that tension in Scripture between faith and works, the reality is, is that Paul and James agree. Scripture is clear and on the same page. Our salvation comes through faith, the work done for us on the cross for us, and our good works just don't cut it. But that work that was done on the cross continues in us and then through us, and it produces evidence. And when there's no evidence... You have to question. Like, I could go home tonight, and I could kiss my wife and say, I love you, honey. But if I'm cold to her, if I don't do anything around the house, if I'm short with her, if I don't listen when she talks, if I don't step up and lead, then my words are empty. There's really no love. Oh, I may feel some sort of love for her, but that doesn't really matter because that feeling isn't reality. Love is evidenced in action. So is faith. Will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, Depart. I never knew you. This is an extremely important thought to sit in, to check, and to recheck. Where are you at when it comes to this? For real. Where are you? There's four different types of faith. And after reading this text, we can't help but really identify. Uh, our own. And so where are you at? Four different types of faith. We're going to kind of take a litmus test here, so to speak, and see where you're at. The first type of faith is different faith. Different faith. The reality is, is we all have faith, right? It's just we put our faith in different things. So a lot of people, as we said, put their faith in the government, right? Their political party, their ideology. This is why some people get so wrecked when their political party doesn't win or so amped when politics comes up in conversation because a lot of their confidence is put in a political ideology. Some of us put our, our faith in our career, right? We identify ourselves by what we do. That's all we talk about. If we lose our job, our world comes crashing down because our faith is in our career. A big thing right now is putting your faith in yourself. This is taught in schools, right? Believe in yourself. I tell my girls all the time, don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in yourself, girls. You'll never cut it. Don't believe in yourself. You'll just let yourself down. I know, there's such great words from dad. But I don't want them putting their faith in themselves. Why? Because they're just like me. They're like their dad. They're fallen. Putting your faith in yourself is like jumping off the ropes course with nobody holding onto the rope, saying, I got faith in myself, and confidently falling to your death. We, we all have faith. Even atheists have faith. I have an atheist friend, and we like to bust each other's chops, but he'll say to me all the time, oh, Junior, I don't have, I don't have enough faith to believe in God. And I say, okay, I, I get that. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. He kind of gave me a weird look. Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I don't have enough faith to think that all of this came from nothing. That particles created the Big Bang came from nothing. Like that, that's a lot of faith, bro. Like atheism takes great faith. I don't have enough faith for that. Like we all have faith. And much of our faith isn't placed in God. It can be in something else. So do you have different faith? Or, if I just put it this way, but this is how James puts it, do you have demon faith? 
That's what James brought up earlier. Like, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the cross. It's great. You qualified for demon faith. You have this intellectual persuasion in the existence of, but not surrendering to. No submission to God, to his word, not embracing and living with conviction, not growing in your relationship with God. There's really no risk. There's no, there's no worship. There's no challenge. There's no serving. It's just a simple intellectual grasping of God's existence and God's greatness, but no submission. James calls that demon faith. Now, the third faith is apologetic faith. Apologetic faith. This is similar to demon faith, only the difference is, is they're sorry for their sin. So I believe in everything the demons believe. You know, God exists, Jesus is God, the cross. But I'm also sorry for my sin. I have remorse for my sin. Beyond that remorse, though, there's no action. So I'm not making any changes toward holiness. I'm not, there's no pursuit of God. There's no real submission. There's just remorse for, for, for sin when we think about it, but just continuing to live on like we normally do. It's a lot like um, this summer. Madison, she's my oldest, she went to VBS. Um, and, and one night in this room, Denim, got up, our campus pastor, and apparently, I wasn't there for it, but he taught on sin, and apparently he just brought the fire to the kids. And, and ever since that night, multiple times a day, Madison will come to me and confess everything to me. Like, Dad, I thought this five minutes ago. I'm so sorry. Dad, I uttered stupid under my breath. I am so sorry. Like, Madison just hates her sin, which is so sweet and good. But often it just kind of stops there. So she gets caught into these loops, like days in a row, same confession after same confession after same confession. And so the other day, we, we had a talk. I said, Maddie, I am so happy that you care and, and feel bad about your sin, but apologizing only really matters when you take steps to do better. Otherwise, it's an empty apology, right? This is what James is saying about our faith. Some of our faith is right there. Faith doesn't just produce sorrow. It produces action from that sorrow. But many of us, we just kind of stop at the sorrow. I believe in the greatness of God and everything he's done, and I'm very sorry, but I'm not taking any steps toward God. Then there's the fourth faith, and that is applied faith. Applied faith. I'm putting it into action. It's like stepping off the, the ropes the rope course platform. And just like stepping off that platform of the ropes course can be scary, so applying our faith daily can be very scary and uncomfortable sometimes. How many of us ever thought, I don't want to forgive this person. I know God is asking me to forgive this person and put my faith and trust in him and to just cancel their debt. I don't want to do that. Sacrifice, I don't want to submit to that. But this is what God is telling me to do, and I have confidence to take that step. We must remember Jesus' invitation to us isn't to believe in the existence of something. Jesus' invitation to us is not to feel sorry about something. Jesus' invitation to us is to follow. It's applying faith. Not perfect, but changing. Different than I was a year ago because I'm applying, showing my confidence by taking steps into the discomfort that God is calling me into. Understanding what God did for me on the cross does, he does in me and through me. That's faith. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Grace that saves my soul bleeds into my life. It's a grace that is seen, it's a grace that bears fruit. It's a transforming grace that doesn't just touch my soul. It revolutionizes my life. 
This is why the Apostle Paul wrote something that almost feels weird to say. It almost feels wrong to say what the Apostle Paul wrote, but it's in Scripture. Paul wrote this. He wrote, work out. Oh, I don't have it up here. He wrote, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work it in, earn it. He's saying work it out. Your salvation is worked out with fear and trembling. Taking steps into the discomfort, pressing into the challenge, fear and trembling, but action to it. Like, let us not forgive, forget that the God of this universe, your creator, offers you something so incredibly precious. He offers you a new heart. He offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you a relationship with the king of heaven. How can that not completely wreck your way of doing life? How can that not completely reconstruct all of your views? How can we embrace so great of salvation, escape the very pit of hell? How can we enter into relationship with the maker of all and yet have little to nothing to show for it? They say a man who escapes near death lives very different. How much more does a man who escapes the pit of hell live? We have been saved from the pit of hell, becoming children of God. Work it out. Yeah, it's scary. Oh, it's uncomfortable. And there they might come with fear and trembling. But if we claim this faith, we show it. And we work it out. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.